0: Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. This episode is part of the DAO mini series, where I talk with Aaron Dignan and Rodney Evans from the Brave New Work podcast about what DAOs can learn from self-managing orgs, And we do it all in bite-sized episodes, so they're short, sweet, and to the point. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to the sponsors who made this episode possible. On this show, we talk all about the human side of Web3 and the philosophy of Web3, but when you're ready to get your hands dirty, Rabbit Hole is the place to go. Rabbit Hole curates all of the wildness of Web3 into one simple place where users can go to be directed towards positive sum protocols and build their skill set as they do it. In this episode, we talk about DAOs, and Rabbit Hole has an intro to DAO's skill that guides you through all of the basic tools you need to know in order to be a DAO contributor. You can check it out at rabbithole.gg. Thank you, Rabbit Hole, for sponsoring On the Other Side. All right, let's hop into the show. We are back with the mini series. We got Aaron and Rodney and me, and I'm so excited to be chatting. On the last episode, we talked about hiring and having a pool and having really clearly defined roles, which I absolutely love and feel like I'm still processing. But part of what came up for me as we were talking about hiring was... This notion of how we define roles and even more importantly, when we define roles. So
1: Mm.
0: a little bit of context. I think right now, a lot of DAOs, because they are permissionless and they don't have this layer of a pool or something like that, end up in a situation where basically whoever comes in and wants to do a certain type of work ends up doing that work if they have the willingness... To step up and take it on. Yeah. And I think sometimes what that creates is a situation where if you were to plan really intentionally, what do we think is the most important work that we can be doing right now? It's not always the work that you end up doing because basically you just like absorb whatever people want to contribute. And that feels like a really big challenge because I can't imagine an organization that you would run that way, that would be like super effective. So I'm curious to hear how you think about that type of thing. And I know it's, it's probably different because the ready is doing more consulting based projects. So maybe it's similar, maybe it's different. I don't know. Curious to hear thoughts.
2: Well, I think I'm not sure if we've talked about this on this mini series, but I'm certainly talking about it a lot lately, which is starting from the premise that you're either running a permission based culture or a constraint based culture. In a permission-based culture, you can only do things when you have permission. In a constraint-based culture, you can do anything you want unless we've constrained it. I think about the role generally as, as something that is a combination of constraints. And the two biggest ones are basically giving directionality, and giving, which is in the form of like a purpose or a mission or an objective for the role, and then giving obligation in the form of responsibilities or accountabilities or whatever the hell you want to call them. There are other things that you can mix into a role. But at the end of the day, you're really basically saying, let's focus some energy here in a particular direction with a particular set of activities that we would really love to see. And neither of those things necessarily means that other people can't do something. So if we have a social role that is supposed to be, you know, meme lord of Twitter, that doesn't mean no one else is allowed to use Twitter or even that they're not allowed to use Twitter on our handle unless we say so it just means that that person's obligated to do so and that's the direction that you know that role is pushing in, which I'm sort of building up, that's a pretty like theoretical and wonky way to set this up. But what I'm building up to is, it's okay to start small. And I think the best thing that you can do to break the seal on roles is probably just say like, can we all just name the roles that we're holding and state some kind of purpose or mission or objective for those roles in our system? And then if it's easy, if it comes easily, maybe add a few bullets on what we think they might be doing at an activity level and just stop there. Like not try to not try to boil the ocean, not try to be too smart in one breath, but just write down what's already happening at some level or write down what we hope would happen in the in the month ahead. I don't know, yeah. Randy, what would you add to that or make yeah, that? Yeah, no, I, I mean accessible? I think that's
1: I think that's right. I, I think the thing the thing that gets tricky here is you're relying on people to be able to make enough sense of what is happening in the system to go and try something that is going to be additive. And so for, for you all, Chase, like having some signal around whether that experiment, that particular piece of work is necessary, is a priority, is worth resources, et cetera is probably a more valuable first step than trying to fully define the role. I totally agree with you, Aaron, on like minimum Minimum definition, regardless. Yeah. But like, what I'm always looking to do, like, and and this and this is where it's very related to the ready and how I've worked at the ready, particularly over the last year. I'm looking across the organization and going, like, okay, based on the retros we're doing, based on the essential intent we have, based on our outcomes for the quarter, like, kind of what around here needs fixing. I'm mm. often getting signal from the people I collaborate most closely with of like, where could I be spending my time? I'm going and doing something, and then I'm bringing back some minimally codified role like Aaron is talking about, saying like, okay, based on what I see as the needs of the organization and what I've heard from you, here's the job I've been doing for two months. Now I wrote that shit down. Also, I'd like to be paid for it. Also, I'd like to be paid something retrospectively for doing it for the last two months, and now I'm getting consent. So when you know a lot of newer members of of our system, but I think of generally self-managing systems, They see a need and they go like, I'm going to propose a role as my first step. And I'm like, that thing is going to be wrong tomorrow because you haven't actually started doing anything yet. So I start with signal, then effort, then codifying what's true and getting consent so that I can get my own needs met around the work.
2: Yeah. And just to build on that, I think what I like about what Rodney is saying is, you're looking for the lowest friction way to get the ball rolling and make actual yeah. things happen. If for some reason the governance environment in a situation is like, I can't do this without authority or without consent or without compensation or whatever, then yeah, I might have to propose some experiment or some taste or some role first. But nine times out of 10, that is not the case. And, and 100 times out of 100, if you do it the way Rodney just described, the codification is way better. Like you just end up with a better thing. So, So I think we've been drafting on that at the Ready lately and just leaning into that. And in fact, even at Murmur, you know, the Ready has, I don't know, 50 roles documented now or some insane number like that. Murmur has less than a dozen. And we have a board with about 30 that are just like a purpose and some idea of what it might be. But they haven't even gone through governance yet. We just earmarked them as like engineer, architect, product design, brand design, whatever, and we're doing them. (laughs) And then like slowly people are codifying, you know, even 18 months into this experiment, codifying what they're doing when usually not just when they feel like it, but when they run up against some lack of clarity about like who or when or why or who has the right or whatever, then it seems like a good occasion to put a stake in the ground about something that was already implicitly true and then to tease that apart. And it goes on forever, by the way. Like I dropped the question in the Reddy's Slack yesterday, which was, which circle is obligated or responsible for the website? And I got like five different answers. And so that's still a thing that is moving and taking shape, which is really fun. And that, you know, that's the lived experience, I think, of doing this.
0: The thing that I feel like my brain is going towards in this type of system is... If you don't have clarity around priorities and mission of the organization more broadly, or even the circle, working group, pod, whatever you want to call it, that you exist in, it's really hard to do those types of experiments because you're kind of like driving somewhere, you know, trying to see are you going in the right direction. But you actually don't even know what the destination is supposed to look like. And so you really never have anything to weigh it against.
1: Yeah, you don't have a destination or a road.
0: (laughs) You're just like driving. You're just off-roading. Yeah, Yeah, just off-roading, man. Like hoping
1: you end up somewhere good.
2: I mean, start with why, right? Like, what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to do it? What's the dent in the universe?
1: Yeah, Chase, I, I... That totally lands, and having really clarified outcomes, you know, instead of like KPIs, having specified outcomes of like what what would be true at the end of this quarter if we nailed it, based on what we know today, I think is a really helpful guardrail to to keep us sort of safe. The other thing that that does bring up for me that I was hoping we would get to talk about is like more and more and more I am becoming convinced that there is. A skill that is the skill of self-management, and that without that, and and we can talk more about sort of like what I and and Sharon, who is stewarding hiring now in particular, have have talked about and seen. But but it's like even with a specified outcome, part of navigating toward that might be setting your own course and thinking about something that isn't a straight trajectory and thinking about non-intuitive ways of getting there, et cetera, et cetera. And all of that takes an ability to sense and respond as an individual and sort of lean into that like self as instrument in the system thing that, you know, most of us don't learn like ever. And we definitely don't learn just like growing up and being socialized in the institutions we are. And so more and more, what I'm starting to notice and learn as we grow is that basket of, of behaviors and skills that fall under successful self-management is like its own thing that is really useful
0: and needed. That's really interesting. How, what are the characteristics of people who have that and can those things be learned So absolutely, I think they're all learned behaviors.
1: I'll tell you where Sharon and I last were on this, and it's probably evolved since this because I think now this has become like an actual part of our hiring process that I'm no longer a part of. But when we started really digging into this, we talked about resolving tensions or conflicts, using a network effectively, being able to respond non-defensively when given difficult feedback holding expertise lightly, asking for what you need, clarity around one's growth edges, upholding commitments like personal ownership, and comfort with ambiguity. And those were the things that we sort of parsed out under self-management as being things that people absolutely can learn, but usually where people kind of fell apart when just dropped into a system where they were not being told like what to do and how to be and what to go
0: after. And are you now looking for those types of skills in hiring?
1: So we're doing two things. On the one hand, because there's a new interview type that is much more about like the self-management skill, yes. And what's interesting is like very recently, two of our most recent hires, one is a former social worker and one is a former psychotherapist. So not terribly surprising that those skill sets are now making it through that interview type. It's like these people who have worked in, you know, in this way very much in their professional careers. So so yes, but also that has become a much more significant part of training for us. So what we realize is like you can't you can't just filter for that because the world has not produced people who know how to do that. You also have to build enough scaffolding that people can fill in their gaps and really learn how to self-manage because it's not it's not intuitive to anyone and it wasn't intuitive to me and it probably wasn't intuitive to Aaron either at some point. Like this this is stuff that we learned by by doing it. And so now as we scale, we're trying to figure out how to teach other people to do that too.
2: Yeah, what I have loved about watching Huxley engage in a system that is fairly aware of like, nonviolent communication and relationships and network effects is what do kids know intuitively and what do they need to be taught mm. because a lot of the narrative in our space is like you have to learn everything and the reality is no I think a lot of us are born with a lot of self-management skills and empathy and care out you know right out of the gate but a lot of weird stuff gets drilled into us throughout our lives yeah. in school and in work and at home and also it's totally true that like, I I have not experienced that children come out of the womb knowing how to resolve conflict. Sure, (laughs) Like that is not the case. And so there are these things where, you know, being able to to really connect with another person and solve a problem or even, you know, advocate for yourself in a way that's healthy. Like that stuff does benefit from reps. So it's, uh, it's helped me to see that it's a little, like everything, it's kind of a both and. It's like, number one, there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen to just, Come back to our nature, and number two, there's there are skills that really matter, and and you have to get them one way or another. You can get them playing the game if you are invited to a monopoly game that's really good, or you can get them before you're invited to the game by doing your work. But either way, somebody is investing time and energy with you.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you said that. And and Chase, I'm curious like how this is how, how you're seeing this, but I feel like in doing client work. And, and Aaron, I'm curious, this has been your experience. I feel like so much of what we do from a principal's perspective, people are like, oh, this is just like common sense. This feels like what you learn in like nursery school. And then like in the intervening 40 years, you have the shit beaten out of you and you like <laughs> don't. But, it, but like, I feel like there is something about self-management that like, it, that intuitively lands with people as being common sense and Natural. sort of nature. Yeah. And then all the nurture like fucks it up. And then we come in and they're like, oh, actually, like this does kind of feel familiar. Remember when we kind shared and when we like had to say yeah. our feelings and, you know, all those things that we sort of lose um, along the way.
2: Well, and literally, it's funny. You watch a group of kids and what do they do, Rodney, which is directly related to this episode? They role play. Right. They're like, oh, what are you going to be? What am I going to be? Okay, I'm the cop. You're the robber. Let's go play.
1: Let's go play. And they do
2: that very intuitively. What are you allowed to do? What am I allowed to do? What is my, you know, how does this work? And they're doing all that configuration very elegantly, very naturally, and in a fluid way where they, now you're the robber and I'm the cop. Right. And then you get to to work and it's like, "Mm mm-mm. Right. (laughs) No, no, no.
0: (laughs) And by playing that game, consenting to it. Yeah.
2: Totally, totally. Exactly. Anybody can leave at any time. Like, it's very volunteeristic. And even, I'm sure everybody's seen all these memes, but, like, there are videos of of psychological research where an adult will drop something and a two-year-old will help them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just very natural, you know? So we're, we're not, we are not the way we appear to be. But also, we need some help in the skills that Rodney was describing.
0: I really love that because... I feel like one of the biggest questions that people ask around DAOs is just what skills do I need to become a contributor? Uh And ultimately, you can build up specific skills that DAOs need that are these technical skills or whatever it might be. But building up skills around self-management, around things like nonviolent communication, feel even more important because it kind of ultimately becomes this whole teach a man to
1: fish instead
0: of giving a man a fish. Like it's just so much better to be able to learn how, how to engage with the system and then learn whatever hard skills you need. That's fine. But life is going to be so much easier if you have these skills that you actually need to exist in the system in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And what, what I've seen is if you don't have self-managing skills, you will tend to project your tensions onto the system in an unhealthy way. And to your point, Chase, about like the the more technical skills versus without that level of like self-awareness and self-management, it's very difficult for people to critically assess where they fit in or what they could pick up or what their technical skills are. So it's kind of like the container that. that like all of the other stuff can get poured into
0: it's a language basically like if and if you can't speak it then you're not going to be able to get anything done the
1: rest of I it is going right. to be much
0: more of a slog yeah 100% and this reminds me of a conversation that rodney we had that i always think back to which is this notion that if you don't have a way to handle the feedback that you're going to get from a self-managing system a therapist a coach whatever it is you're going to really struggle in that system. And I always (laughs) think back to that because I really think that we don't talk enough about this exact thing, where if you are projecting onto a system, maybe when is a better term, because I feel like that (laughs) uh, is probably inevitable. But if you don't have a way to process that kind of thing, then it just becomes so much more challenging to exist in that system for the reasons that you were talking about, where it's like you're not able to take that feedback and actually grow from it. And that's why I'm so excited about self-management and DAOs also becoming a larger part of the conversation in Web3. Is I do think that this becomes an opportunity for growth. Like truly, if you don't, if you want to succeed in a self-managing system, maybe that does mean that you're basically going to have to be good and and cool with discomfort and growth. And that Mm -hmm. feels really powerful to me as this like, yeah, just way to catalyze personal growth in a way that I think working for a traditional sort of hierarchical organization is just a little bit less common because you can blame your boss or, you know, all of these different things as opposed to being like, well, shit, maybe I'm the problem. Yeah, Yeah. you can
1: just like you can keep that locus of control small in a bureaucratic system and be like, this is all being done to me because you don't really have the agency to change it. And in a self-managing system, you have to be like, oh, I do have the agency. I just don't have like the wherewithal or the ability or the self-awareness or the whatever. And that's much, much more difficult for a lot of people to do. And then it's like anything else. Once you get to the other side of it, there's like no going back.
2: Unfortunately, the elevate the world's consciousness purpose statement has already been claimed. And so we're going to have to think of something else. But it is a driving force, I think, in in leveling up as a community, how we relate.
0: That feels like a beautiful place to wrap up. Elevating the world's consciousness. We worked. We'll Hashtag. Way to say it. Uh-oh. <laughs> Didn't work we're gonna out well for We're going to do a better yes. job of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Try, try again
0: beautiful. This was a fun episode.
2: Yeah, it was very, it went to places I did not expect.
0: 100% agreed. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you, or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.